0: no picks after dark podcast i'm your host aaron dante we are on location folks and again you know i'm always trying to give you the fire the heat and try and give people a little bit of a sneak peek behind the curtain in baltimore and today we have an amazing chef with you that's going to be hanging out talking about some amazing things and i'm so excited to invite mr Sh- the chefs mr scott how
1: are you I'm, I'm great, I'm excited to be here I'm Excited to talk to you, I'm excited to have you here rather.
0: Alright, where are we? Tell us people where we are Because I, don't, I don't want to let you talk about it it's your um, show. So
1: we're currently sitting in our wine cellar uh, One of the special things about the Ivy Hotel And our restaurant is that we have a very, very extensive Wine list um, This is a Robert Parker wine cellar um, It's named for one of the Just leading wine people in the country So it's just an incredible Space, it's my favorite room in the entire building Honestly.
0: Well I appreciate you taking time out Your day. Oh yeah, of course. To come hang out yeah. Just for a little bit. I know it's your day off, but we're going to make it we're make it. work. No days off. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I will tell you people, I mean, this is one of the interviews that I wanted to interview probably a year ago. Um, I, I've heard so many great things about Magdalena at the restaurant. And just, you know, timing. And I always believe timing is always right for the right reasons. And I'm so happy that now we've made it work to sit down and have this conversation today.
1: Yeah, I think now is like a good time because, you know, I sort of have my feet under me. In, in my role it's I've, I've really started to you know catch my stride at, at Magdalena and I think that you know it the reviews and the the guest experience when I talk to tables and stuff it's starting to reflect that so I'm very, very excited to start a, start getting a little bit of uh, you know letting everyone know what's going on
0: okay basically. so I so I mean I know you're you're a music guy podcast guy all that good stuff tell people a little bit about you let's give them a little bit of background about you are you from Baltimore or are you from
1: the region? I'm from Howard County. Okay. Um, I grew up like down in in Columbia, uh, in Oakland Mills, if anyone's familiar with that area. Um, My parents are, uh, my mom was born in England. Um, My dad is from Ellicott City. Um, So, you know, I'm I'm mixed race and, you know, grew up in that little microcosm in in Howard County that, um, you know, Columbia is very much a bubble and a wonderful place to grow up. Uh, I moved up to the city when I was like 19 years old. I was going to uh, Howard Community College at the time. Uh, I moved out of my parents' house with the girl I was dating, and just came up here and started cooking because I needed a job. And kind of like you know, the rest is history, as they say. I guess um, I only went to music school just to get an associate's degree, and then uh, the chef that I was working for at the time kind of talked me into doing this forever. Um, which is you know, when you're young and there's like you're working for a, a person that's like passionate and can do a bunch of cool stuff, you, it's kind of easy for them to, you know, drink, people say drink the Kool Aid. I guess is the most popular phrase. Nice. You kinda just like and it's like it's a, it's a profession that's so easy to get addicted to, especially when you're like into creative things and you know, I already played music and I like it's that's something that's like multitasking and adaptability and like all these things, so it's kinda I just fell in love with it.
0: Nice, nice. So growing up in the Baltimore region, what was your favorite childhood memory growing up? Like what was something that you can pick up and like, this was a cool memory, I'll always sticks with me, like from then to now
1: um well when i was growing up in columbia it's not like that now because it's been pretty developed uh but where my parents live um there was sort of just like farmland everywhere like there was a huge uh, field of alfalfa there was soybeans uh cornfields like all this stuff and that's sort of where we all ended up playing when we were kids because it was just right through the the line of the woods um and that's sort of like now has translated into my cooking because like farm networks and you know local food systems is like something that's so important to me um and I just feel like sort of that uh feeling like you grew up in like a small town kind of feeling was really cool. I think that was my favorite childhood memory growing up in Howard county was kind of like being in like a, where the farm systems were at the time you know it's it's now the exact area i'm talking about it's now blandair park down there um, which is like a bunch of sports complexes and like playgrounds and which is great for the community, you know, stuff like that's wonderful, it's brought a lot of business, and like lacrosse tournaments, and like all that stuff to the area, but you know, I kind of miss that like, which is like well, this sort of like, you know, straight go through the line, the the tree line into this like wonderland kind of thing.
0: You know, it's funny, um, I remember growing up, well Columbia, yeah, and I we moved away, and it wasn't developed yet, I remember watching, I was living somewhere, and it was like the place to be, yeah. to move, Columbia was like for, for families, and they had a certain different way like a pot or way of living out there, and yeah. It was it's like a, the villages yeah, system, it was kind different.
1: of. Yeah, it's like people. They, it was a planned community. Right. Um, I think there's another sister community in Maryland to Columbia that's kind of similar. Uh, but yeah, but there's like the the way the neighborhoods are set up is they're villages. Like it's right. like the village of Oakland Mills, the village of Owen Brown, village of Wild Lake, Harper's Choice. It's all it's all these little like, kind of, centralized around like a shopping center and a community center and like pool and stuff like that and all these amenities for the for the specific like little small microcosm of the community kind of thing. I mean, it's a cool way to grow up because like, you know, everyone knows like, oh, what village, you know, where are you from? <laughs> like, oh, I'm from Wild Lake, you know what <laughs> I mean? And it's just, it's funny because it's like, they wanted it to be a much larger city than it is ever going to end up being. Like they, there's like in the um, sort of like city hall down there, there's like a plan for it and it's, the downtown's like a metropolis with like a tram system and all this stuff and it's not ever going to go there, but it's, you know, that's what they wanted, so it's a very, very interesting place, people always call it a bubble, that's the, people call it the column bubble, that grew up there, like kids that grew up there, yeah,
0: so, I guess growing up there, like, so your parents were, from, parents lived there, you grew up, was there anybody in your family that was like that, that you watched when you were younger that could cook good food?
1: Um, both my grandmothers, like okay. my, my nana and my granny, like my white grandmother, my black grandmother, they're, they're just both always been incredible cooks um i mean like my mom's mom's british obviously um which people always try to say that british food is like you know it's one of those things like people are like oh no british food's notoriously not good but for me it's special because you know they invented globalization in a sense so like what well, their food is very like a mixed bag of things when someone is grew up there and lived there it's like you know I, the reason i love indian flavors and all that stuff is because of my grandmother and the reason i love like asian food and stuff is because like she instilled how important tea service and all this stuff was to me. And it's kind of just like people think they know what goes on over there that it's just like fish and chips and stuff, but it's really not. It's more than that. It's more up in
0: England. They got some good
1: food. Yeah, and she was like such a well-traveled woman because my grandfather was in the Air Force. So she knew how to make all these different like sauerbraten and like rouladen and all these German dishes. And so I always really was paying attention. You said that before we started, like if there was any, like, we, I was always really paying attention to food. Like I was a fat kid. I was always really excited about the kitchen. So, um, my, my mom will say that that's like her favorite thing to tell everybody now. Cause she's like so proud of where I'm at. She's like, he was always the one pulling his chair up to the counter and like, you know, like trying to be involved in what was going on. But real, you know, realistically it was just cause I wanted to get to eat some of it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you got a good appetite. So you gotta know how to cook your food. Uh, yeah. You know, I always, I like hearing those stories because there's so many cool things about that where I think about my uncles, Yeah. and my uncles were probably the best chefs I've ever had in my life. My uncle could give you a whole chicken, some collard greens, and some black-eyed peas, and whatever. And he would make it. He would make a full meal at two o'clock in the morning, and they'd be like, "Bro, how did you do this?" And like, it'd be the, it'd be a masterpiece. of, like soul food. He could make any. because he just loved it. He loved the cook, yeah. and that helped me learn. Oh, I want to watch. And I was I was. I was a little. skinny, but now I'm a little bit bigger now because I got like to eat a little <laughs> bit more weight. Ain't shedding off like it used to be, but I will tell you, I love to cook now. So I have like a huge smoker that's the size of this table we're sitting at. Nice. And I just sit back, man. I sit back days and just turn the smoker on, pull a six-seven racks on, and I'm like, who am I cooking for? <laughs>
1: like, but for you know, it's just, yeah, but just it's just, or just for cooking? Why it's not? Fun, you know what I mean? Man.
0: It's just fun. So that's cool that you already had that passion
1: inside you. It's interesting you said your uncle too, because that was another person in my family, like my mom's brother, uh, because he was a waiter at uh, Clyde's. And, oh, Clyde's, and, yeah, yeah. And um, so he, you know, he always watched the kitchen, and like he kind of had this like secret, like dream of like you know being a chef kind of thing. Um, so he'd make some really extravagant stuff, um, and just like you know kind of experiment on things, and then like you know we'd all get to eat it. I just think it's like food's always something that's been very important in my family. Um, that was, like, one of the first things I said in, like, an interview that I had. Um, and when they wanted, like, a little blurb for our website was kind of just, like, the, like, what happens when a family gets around a table and, like, everything that, like, everything else in life can go away when there's beautiful food on the table.
0: I, I you know? agree. We uh, did something for um, a festival last year, and it was four creators never met each other. Mm-hmm. And we sat around food, and we talked about it, and it was showing the bond of what food brings people together. Yeah. And and by the end we, of that
1: meal, you know everything about each other. We knew
0: everything about each other. It was yeah. amazing, and I wish more people did concepts like that. Maybe that could be another concept we can do. Maybe that's another show we can do concept-wise. Oh, let Bring me know if you want g- someone to cook for it. Hey, hey, can we, can we, we Miss Terry, can we sign off on that?
1: She'll <laughs> <laughs> make, she'll make, she'll make me do whatever. Hey,
0: Chef Scott, Eddie, anything, anything. It's not really
1: that hard to get me to do stuff, honestly. I'm, I'm so, like, you know, I'm excited about what I do. You well, know, and especially right now, I feel like I'm in a time when it's like. Let's put the pedal down, you know. And let's like go while we're going, sort of thing. So.
0: Okay, so you. When did you start going? Did you go to school for cooking? Did you, or yeah. you just naturally like? How did you? What was the first kitchen you worked in? Can you remember that? And. Did you all magically when you picked a knife up, cutting the meat and plies together and all that stuff? Was it like all mag like love like I love this or was it kind of like. All right. This is cool.
1: Um The first kitchen I worked in that was like a real kitchen was. um or you know operated in a way that is proper it was it was called Zamin Bean Cafe. Um, the building's still there. Um, it's not operating anymore, but it's uh, owned by the Dornick family. They're kind of like prominent in that little pocket of Fells. Um, but the person who ran the place at the time, who sort of just like did everything, it was like a small little restaurant. Like he was sort of the chef. He was the restaurant manager. It Was this uh, gentleman Scott Lanfear, uh, who I ended up opening Patterson Public House with, is the place I was the chef before I came here, um, and he sort of. I started working with him, um, you know, he's pretty young at the time, and he's not that much old. He's, he's like six years older than me, and, you know, he's, that's the same age difference between me and my older sister. So there's always this, like, whenever I end up around people, that it's that age difference. It's always like, you know, he took me under his wing right away and started showing me a bunch of stuff. And I did, he got me really excited about cooking, and like you said, I fell in love with it right away, I think, because I always really enjoy anything that's, like, technical in any way. Like I get really, that's why I'm into like, you know, modular synthesizers and recording music and audio production and all that stuff because there's always more and more and more you can learn. Um, and I've always been that person where I'm just like, whoa, you mean like there's how many ways to do this? Like, you know what I mean? Like, and I just got excited right away. and um, But to be honest, and, and if anyone that cooks tries to say that they loved it the whole time, it's not true. You know, there, there was moments in the beginning where I was just like calling my mom because <laughs> I, you know, I was, I didn't have a car when I first started cooking, so I was like taking... I was living out in Arbutus, and I was, like, taking, like, the light rail and a bus or, like, riding my bike through West Baltimore at 2 a.m. And, like, just, like, kind of having a hard time with, like, being on my own in the big city kind of thing. Like, calling my mom, being like, oh, I worked for so long today, (laughs) and, like, I'm on this stupid train. And, like, you know, and just kind of, like, the aspects of it that were really, like, beating me down a little bit. Um but then it sounds really cliche. And I was talking about this with my best friends because I was hanging out with them yesterday, but I read Kitchen Confidential when I was like 23 years old. Mm. Um, And that book broke my heart in like the best possible way because it's like one of those things where you're like, man, you don't always have to like feel alone. You don't have to like, what we do is really hard, but it's something that's very, very special. And like sort of being a part of like what he says in that book, like that subculture and realizing that like you live in a world that's like all its own. I was like, I'm not ever going to stop doing this. Like, this, yeah. is, this is it now.
0: I love it. I love to hear it. So what we'll do is we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back. We're going to talk about how you ended up here and how you got here and working for some amazing owners. And
1: it's a pretty good, That's a pretty decent one. Yeah. Because it started, it started longer ago than it seems like.
0: All right. So we can get, we can, we're going to get into that. And because I want to get their first background about you so they understand who you are. And then we'll get into the technical stuff of being here and
2: giving us a little sneak behind the curtain. Excellent. Alright, folks, we'll be right back after these messages. The No Picks After Dark podcast is proudly partnered with Maggie's Farm. Located at 4341 Hartford Road, Maggie's Farm offers a unique dining experience with delicious handcrafted cocktails and mouthwatering cuisine from falafels to scallops and everyone's favorites, honey sriracha cauliflower wings. Open for dinner from 4 p.m. until 10 p.m., Tuesday through Saturday, and for brunch, Saturday from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. And Sunday from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. With delectable chicken and waffles, shrimp and grits, biscuits and gravy, and more. Check out Maggie's Farm on Instagram and Facebook for daily and weekly food specials. The No Picks After Dark podcast is fueled by Zeke's Coffee. Have you tried their coffee yet? I'm telling you, there's something different about it. Maybe it's because they roast their beans in a fluid coffee roaster, which provides the most accurate roasting temperatures and made with love. You will just have to check it out for yourself and try their delicious food while you're at it. Open now for curbside service, online ordering, carry out, and they also do wholesale. Visit Zix Coffee at 4719 Hartford Road, open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Sunday, 8 to 5 p.m kitchen closes at 3 p.m. or visit ZeeksCoffee.com, and you too can be fueled by Zeke's. OpenWorks is Baltimore's largest maker space, offering access to tools ranging from 3D printers to welder and training in how to use them. OpenWorks also offers affordable studio space, a coffee shop, and fun free events throughout the year. But Open Works is more than a public workshop. It's a community of creative professionals, students, seniors, entrepreneurs, and makers of all kinds. Check out the website at www.openworksbemore.org or Instagram at openworksbemore for class schedules, membership options, and more. All right.
0: And we're back. We're with the, with the chef Scott, and I'm so happy to you, Chef Scott, that you're hanging out with us today.
1: Yeah, I feel like we're having a great conversation. I'm, I'm so loving excited this conversation.
0: About it. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. And so we're at the lovely Ivy Hotel. I mean, I've never been here, but I mean, I feel like I had to wear some slippers in here to walk in here. Was, <laughs> I didn't want to wear, wear my shoes, you know?
1: Yeah, it's the place is amazing. Uh, that was that was one of the things that you know, in the beginning, really is what drew me here. It's Especially the the upstairs of the hotel is an, an absolute, like, it's it's like Downton Abbey.
0: So, like, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, the Ivy Hotel is black-owned and operated. What does that mean to you as somebody who works here as a chef, that chef here at Magdalena?
1: Um, I feel like because of, I mean, how personal I already make everything about my career. Like, I put so much of myself into my cooking, into my work. Um, I feel like the fact that it's a black-owned establishment kind of takes that to the next level of it, um, because for my whole career, I never worked for a black-owned business, and, um, you know, there are not a lot of black chefs in the country, just, you know, there there are tons of black chefs, but there are not a lot of black chefs in the country that are highlighted, um, and I feel like getting to be in an establishment like this that is going to try to elevate me, and it also being black-owned, it's it's serves a couple of different purposes for me. Like, making this place successful and getting its name out there not only helps the culinary world, but it helps the black community. It helps the way that people look at blackness in America. It helps everything.
0: You know, it's interesting. Um, I have I moved back to Baltimore in 'o five, and I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, just trying to remember, I didn't know about this place until I started doing this podcast, which is wild. Yeah. And I remember walking past... This rest, this hotel. And I was like, oh, this the Ivy Hotel. But like, that was kind of like, oh, okay, I know it's black on, but you know, you don't think too much yeah. of it. And then when I got into this scene, people were like, have you ever been to Magdalena? I'm like, what, what's that? They're like, it's some of the best food in the world. It's so good. I'm like, okay. And then I looked online, I was like, oh, you know, prices on the menu. Okay, all right, all right, all right. Yeah. I, I, I get what it says, but I've seen so many amazing pictures and so many recommendations. I'm excited. For me to actually come and eat here and, and check it out for my own self So like what would you say your cooking style is like what is your style like if I walk into your kitchen sit down have dinner bring my family and friends what's your style
1: I think in in being a chef you need that's something that you really need to articulate um, in order to be able to like sell your brand for lack of a better term. Um I know it's weird to I mean it seems weird to say that but it's really not I know you understand that like you have to believe in your concept you have to propel it forward or no one else is going to believe in it um so the thing that I always say is I cook globally influenced sort of like farm to fork cuisine um it always has a southern influence um because you know my 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 white grandmother had a huge influence on my food and but that was sort of like in the sense that I understood how important it was to be globally influenced and to use French technique and to cook properly. Um, but the food that really, really, really stuck and really like when it hit the wall, just never, never left was all the soul food that my black grandma cooked, honestly. Um, like my favorite thing to eat ever in my life is her collard greens. Like, (laughs) like just always just Thanksgiving. It's like, that's half my plate and the other stuff is just kind of like a little bit of turkey, a little bit of this, but it's like, here's like a big old mound of greens. Um And I just never forget that. It's like, the and how much work she puts into it and like stuff at four o'clock in the morning cooking Thanksgiving dinner. And it's just like that dedication to food um, because of where it came from is something that really always like kind of resonated with me. So yeah, like globally influenced Southern cuisine.
0: I love it. I love it. I always saw people are like, how much salt do you put in? Like I just feel like wherever, wherever the ancestors tell me, I just drop it in there. I don't yeah. measure things out. That's just me. The, like. <laughs> the um
1: food and, the daytime food and beverage manager Anthony Horsey who works here um is a black older black gentleman like around this age range of my father um who he's really since I've been working here even when I was a cook has always been someone that like you know he's Tony's special to me just because you know um it's it's we have oh, a man. great rapport great relationship and he won I make I made greens for staff meal one time he, like, loved him so much. And he's like, oh, what do you put in there? And I, like, told him, like, what I put in. But he was like, how much? And I was like, oh, like, uh, three seconds of apple right. cider vinegar and uh, two, two seconds of Worcestershire. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It was, it was like, it's like, that's how, when, like, if you ask my granny how she make her, what the recipe for her greens was, she'd probably be like. <clears throat> like, it'd be like, you get a little snort. Like, she'd laugh at you. And then be like, take your hand be like, come on, baby. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like you, like, you know what I mean? Yeah.
0: That's the way my mom, I, I finally passed my mom's test cooking collard greens. Yeah. She was like, "These are good." I was like, "Finally." You know, you you get it. You yeah. get it. So,
1: and she's all she's always not like, you know, my granny like is not like withholding with that kind of stuff, but she's <laughs> it's just like I don't know, I cook it. Like she's very like like such soft-spoken woman, you know. And it, it's it's just funny to me that like she's just I love her food. So I've always loved her food.
0: So if I'm a customer and I'm making reservations, what dishes do you have offered that, you know, because this episode I didn't even tell you this. It's coming out on Juneteenth.
1: Oh, wow. So That's huge. So like uh, that. I,
0: I, So if I'm a customer, I'm listening to this on Juneteenth. What's some dishes that, I know you can say all of them, but I would say that it's been notarized, that people are like, you got to get this when you come to Magalhães. You have to come and get this.
1: Um, the mushroom tartines one that's like a huge guest favorite, but that's like a, a sort of a play on a French dish. Like it's a play on mushroom a la creme. All right,
0: it's, explain it to people who don't know. Uh,
1: it's what? basically on, uh, it's a house-made bread, like it's a house-made ciabatta. Um, it's mushrooms, they're all uh, come from king mushroom that I get through Moon Valley Farm. At, that you basically sear them really hard in a super hot pan, uh, deglaze with Pernod, uh, a little Dijon, uh, some sweet onions, and then just cream. And, and then it. you kind of cook it until it's like a nice, tight little, like kind of like mushroom sauce, but mm-hmm. like a little bit tighter than that. And then it goes on top of, the, uh, there's like house-made farmer's cheese, goes on the bread, the mushrooms go on top of that. And it's just like a little salad of mustard greens. Oh, Lord, and it's brother, like, <laughs> ground, like on, <laughs> and, and people, it's a uh, tartines, basically just an open face sandwich. Wow. Um, and people love it. Like it's gets ordered a ton. Um, I did it because, uh, when I first started working here, Mark would always do uh, mushroom a la creme on brioche and I just, Thought it was delicious. Like, the way we do the mushrooms is still the way he showed us, but it's, like, kind of my little spin on it. Um, The thing that I'm most excited about on the menu that's selling really well right now is the rabbit leg, um, which is sort of like a, like, ode to my father kind of thing. Um, When I was a kid, he always made, like, barbecue chicken on the grill um, with, like, you know, like, bell seasoning or, like, seasoned salt or, like, whatever. Um, And then, like, he put, like, some vegetables in foil, put put those on there, let them cook, like, while the while the chicken's cooking, like nice charred up barbecue sauce. Um, so this is sort of supposed to be all of those kind of flavors, but like with a way for me to make rabbit, which is a protein that I'm very passionate about. Um, because rabbits are like just an incredible animal to farm as far as like a sustainability sense, like their footprints, like they'll just eat like scraps of other stuff from your farm, grow big and strong. And then have 700 babies, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's they're, they're a ridiculous animal. Um, so I kind of wanted to use rabbit in a way that would make it more approachable. Uh, mm-hmm. So it gets cooked sous vide for 10 hours in duck fat. Um, I made like sort of my version of Bell seasoning uh, where I smoked rosemary and then uh, just kind of put everything else that's in Bell seasoning in it, like blitz it up into this little like seasoned salt. Um, so it that goes on there. Um, and then it gets charred on a charcoal grill because my dad always used charcoal when I was a kid. Um, and then it just gets a carrot barbecue sauce, which is like a barbecue that's um, like Moroccan spiced that I've been making for a long time now. It's like one of my favorite sauces that I make.
0: You know what I love about this conversation we're having is, and it'll show in the camera. Your face lights up talking about family.
1: Yeah, and they're...
0: it's like you know your nana, your grandmother. They all had your dad, all had different influences on your life, and the food that you're preparing that you see on this table is probably today. It,
1: yeah. I, when I was a kid, my family was super, like, we were so incredibly close. Um, like both sides of my family are friends with each other. Um, like, you know, both my grandmothers love each other, like kind of thing. Well, my Nana passed away now, but my, but like, you know, they were always super close. Um, but I think like I lost my way for a little while. Um, like in my twenties, I got kind of like, you know, the things that happen to people that are chefs kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, just messed around too much, acted crazy. Um, and I kind of like lost my way with my family and now it's like at this point in my life where I like I'm starting to be a little successful and have more time to think about like well not more time obviously that's hilarious <laughs> you're hearing to your say. day off
0: come on yeah that
1: was <laughs> don't that was that was silly um but <laughs> but the um like you start getting older and i guess like self-reflection is a big thing um and i realized that i have absolutely no culture whatsoever without them
0: you know it's interesting i mean i was in my 20s and I wasn't as close as my family. Just kind of like, you know, you're just yeah. having fun. You're just enjoying life. And the older I get, the more, you know, I try to have dinner with my mom, my sister, every Sunday night. And just as a, as a tradition. Because we did that when I was growing up. Every Sunday night, it was dinner at my dad, mom's house, or aunt, uncle's house. And would be like so many people. It was a tradition like no other. Better, yeah. better than the masters. I know that was a cheesy saying. You're not a master. Always <laughs> the best. Yeah, better than the other. But You know what I mean? It was just... Everybody sat around. I had an aunt who made homemade ice cream and would churn it. And, like, it was like, this is what it's all about. And I'm trying to tell my sons how important family is. Yeah. And so they can see somebody every Sunday night we're having dinner. We're sitting down together, TV's off. We're enjoying each other's conversation. And that's what it's all about. So I like that you're talking about your family. It's so relatable. And I know people love that. It just it warms my heart hearing that.
1: Well, cooking's an expression of love. So it's like when you take those things that were you know, created for you when you were a kid because that's was someone that, like, loved you and wanted you to be happy. It's, like, extending that to your guests is, like, that's, I can't ex- imagine a better restaurant experience than that, honestly.
0: So, okay, so from a question, Magnolia rebranded from fine dining to a Maryland bistro concept a year ago. What was the process about that? How, tell people about the process of going from fine dining to a bistro. So, the big difference would it, I mean, I'm just asking, I'll turn, is it white cloth compared to not white cloth? Is it, you know, is it like the difference, I guess?
1: I'd say we still carry the spirit of what Magdalena was in the past. Um, as far as the level that we try to maintain um, and the standard, uh, you know, it's like we still cook on a very world-class level. Our service is still just, we try we try to maintain that world-class level and in every aspect of what happens here, because, you know, we are a part of Herlay and Chateau. We are, we are held to the standard. Um, but at the same time, when we reopened after COVID, Um, It was sort of like, we need to adapt for the new world. Mm -hmm. Um, For lack of, you know, that's the best way to put it. People try to act, like the world's never gonna be the same. People try to act like we're gonna be, go back, there's gonna be some kind of, it's like no. Everyone needs to acknowledge that we're living in the now, we're living in the new world. Uh, So it was like, you know, people weren't going out as much, people weren't looking for that. You know, if people are coming out, they want to feel comfortable, they want to feel like they belong somewhere. Because for everyone's been in their house, uh, so it was sort of this let's create a more approachable restaurant that's more appropriate for where we are, and let's use produce from I mean we, that was something that we already did here, but like let's highlight that let's talk about the farmers, let's talk about this wonderful state that we're in. We're in one of the v- best farming networks in the entire country. It's wonderful to me that I can like hop in my car, drive thirty minutes, and be like standing at. John Shaw's farm in Moncton hanging out, looking at some brand new row seven vegetable that he's excited about. Like, I think it's insane that we can cook that way. Uh, so I, so when Mark was still here and when we were reconcepting, when he and Devin and I were having these meetings and sitting down and talking about it, that was something that we really like, let's have a seriously solid farm program. So for me, it being a Maryland bistro is more than just Maryland classics. It's the fact that the definition of what a Maryland Bistro for me is that we t- take produce from this region and we cook it in an approachable and eclectic way. Mm. So uh, you can come here and you can tailor an experience for yourself that's like nowhere else in Baltimore. And it's it's amazing to me that if you want to come in and get a burger and a side of Brussels sprouts and have a beer, you can do that. Mm-hmm. But if you want to come in here and get caviar service and foie gras and lamb saddle and you know what I mean, it, world-class cheeses for dessert you can do that too and I think that for me that has always kind of been you know I'm not from France but like you know for me like when I go to a place like Petit Louis or somewhere that is a bistro I've always been like man I can either come in here have a snack or I can just like get seriously destroyed with some of the best food I've ever had
2: now
0: what was that moment feeling when they said this is your kitchen now like when you took over the kitchen like talk us walk us through that process of you know they're sitting now talking. Well, I don't know how it happened, but a little sneak peek. Like, you are now that face of the restaurant, and you are the chef. I'm like, how does that feel when you heard that?
1: Probably the same way it feels when, uh, like, you get the you get drafted. I'd have to imagine. You know what I mean? Um, did you cry a little bit? Well, yeah, I did. Um, I was I'm not gonna lie, I was terrified. Uh I knew I could handle it. I knew what I was walking into. You know, I've been a chef before. Um I worked for when I was working for Foreman Wolf, like I was one of the main people running Johnny's, which, you know, at the time and still now is a beast of a restaurant.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um like I knew I knew I could handle it, but I knew that this is a level that I'd never had run anything. Um the thing I was mainly nervous about was you try you try for so long to get here that like once you're there, it's like, how am I gonna represent myself? Am I really gonna do it the way I said? You know, that was my main fear, I think. Um, And for me, the way that the job was given to me was a huge deal because um, he passed away now, but David Garrett, who was like sort of like the, uh, the head of our management company and the people that helped create this place, who's an absolute titan of the hospitality industry, like sat upstairs across from me and like, Told me how much he'd like my food, like dishes he had that were on the menu that were mine. Um, was honestly super surprised at some of the things he had that were on the menu that were mine. Like he would like would go to tell Mark that it was great, and Mark would be like Who's that guy? And he's like, Oh wow, you know what I mean? And so, um, you know, right before the end of this very special gentleman's life, I got to kind of have a relationship with him and then he <laughs> chose me, you know what I mean? Um and that was the biggest deal for me at um and we, him and I had a phone conversation like a, a like a couple weeks after I got promoted. That also was just like you know he kind of told me I just needed to stay on my path and believe in it. And so it was just, it was crazy. It was me like chills talking about it honestly because the, the the guy was a very big deal. He knew he knew like like no one else I've ever been around like just knew what was good for lack of like for I always say that I, I say for lack of a better term more than I should, but I have no better way to put it than he just knew it was good. Like he knew what he wanted and he knew what other people wanted. Like, what? That's pe- a good feeling. Somebody yeah.
0: believes in you and yeah. followed up with it and was
1: like, yeah
0: this is the person who we we want to take.
1: And just being a guy with. that's, you know, I've just been some, like, before now, just like some tattooed dude in Baltimore riding around on a fixed gear bike, cooking at restaurants, trying to make them good, you know?
0: You know what's really dope is that I've interviewed another chef that's similar to your story recently, and he's not classically trained at all, and has one of the best kitchens in Baltimore now, food wise. And I just, you know, you you got me, you got my mind spinning. And we'll talk off camera with that. But um, thank you for sharing that. That well, I know that you yeah, can see the chills talking about that.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm always someone who, and I I'm like this with my staff. I'm like this with everyone in the hotel. I'm very transparent, like especially emotionally. Um, I struggle with mental mental illness. I think a lot of people that are artistic do, and I try to be transparent about it because I think that the connotation of like men not being emotional and not sharing that kind of stuff. is just silly. It is.
0: I, (laughs) I, you know, I tell people this all the time when, and we talked earlier when I won best of Baltimore, the first year, it was kind of like, ha 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 ha. When I won the second year and when the Baltimore son called me and said, we want to take a picture and do an article with you. I cried when it happened because it meant I didn't care about winning. It wasn't about that. Now, I always tell people, it's not about winning. It was about seeing my face on a paper, in a paper, yeah, because representation matters. And for you to be here doing what you're doing, it matters. This episode with young children who might be listening, who will say, hey, wow, I can be just like him. And that's very, very important. And I think that's one of the things that I take into account every time I do this podcast somebody's out there listening yeah. that their kid could be listening like wow i want to i want to do this you know now i look over for all the best of baltimore nominations that just came out recently and i see seven different black podcasts that got nominated you know how good that makes me feel
1: amazing and because
0: I, I don't have to win no more i yeah. just won right there seeing that
1: yeah that's the biggest win that, that makes that win. makes that makes the other ones almost like that's the i'm one. glad i'm glad they took me here you know
0: that's the win. Like yeah. it just came out today, and I looked at it and I was like, "That was they weren't there last year, but now they're there." And I, and to me, representation matters. It really I does. I love hearing what you're saying. That that means a lot because I, I always want to support black chefs because I know how hard it is out there in the industry. I I've worked in the industry. But I'll tell you that story another day. But in <laughs> the behind the scenes, I understand it. But just I'm proud of what you're doing, and I'm glad that we had conversation conversations sit down. Talk about it. So, going into summer, um, we got a lot of things going on. We got Afram coming up. That's in Drew Hill Park coming. I know. Like, is there going to be a different summer menu that you're working on right now? That because when this comes out, it'll be right like summer's like June twenty first or twenty second, yeah. whatever day may be.
1: Um. So the way that I've been doing it, um, since I took over here was that I do like an early and a late season version of the menu for each season because that's just uh, it's easier to cook that way. Um especially the way i buy things like for example right now like i was using green garlic and ramps on dishes and now it's like i pickled a bunch a lot of ramps a lot but it, that's about where all we're gonna have left is pickled ones because it's like the, all, all the fresh ones are not going to be around you know same thing with green garlic it's like it starts to go away so i usually I, i'll either tweak a dish to change take that thing away or like if it really made the dish we'll just put something else on Um, So the way that I've been doing it is like the menu slowly changes through the season until now it's the new menu. It's the early version of the summer menu, and then it's the late version of the summer menu turns in, you know. So it's – they kind of – just keeping it dynamic. Um, I think the guests enjoy that more. My cooks enjoy it. Um, The farmers I buy from probably appreciate it, you know, like being adaptable. When, like, you know, they email me, they're like, we don't have any more asparagus. And I'm like, all right, thanks for the heads up asparagus is coming off tomorrow i guess like what are we gonna put on um and me like be, being someone who i've always been very vegetable forward in my cooking it makes it easy as hell to make dishes mm. um it's just like let's do like a sun show che- like for example like the vegetable dish that we have on right now is just like an ode to the farm system like every single thing that's on the plate is from the state of maryland or northern virginia um it's an albright farms egg um, the, all the vegetables are from either karma farm or moon Valley, all the grains and beans are from next step produce. Um, so it's like, what do you want to do with this? Like, Oh, we've got sunchokes. Let's make a terator, which is like a Turkish sauce that's made with nuts. Um, you know, let's barbecue the carrots. Let's do this. And it's kind of just like, just treat, take these beautiful vegetables and just treat them well. And it's something It's always delicious. So
0: that's great. That's great. So I guess what would you, one of the, one of the biggest takeaways you want somebody who's listening to us talk, and learning about you and the restaurant, what do you want them to walk away from in this interview? What do you What do you hope they walk away with?
1: I'd like to, you know, like you were saying, I talk about my family a lot. Um, I kind of want to separate myself a little bit from what people think about when they think about chefs. Um, like the thing I was saying before about like just being transparent with your feelings and all that, I think that I want people to feel like they can approach me. I want to be that if I continue to get attention, I want to be that person that like, you know, if I'm at the farmer's market at the grocery store or something, people aren't like, <laughs> they're like, Hey, what's up, chef Scott? Like, how are you doing? Like, you know, and I want to be a part, I want to be a part of the community and I want Magdalena to be a part of the community. Um, I think that we've been a well-kept secret for a long time. And I think that we're somewhere that our image and our focus and our goal is very, very good for the city of Baltimore. Um, whether the rest of the community wants to admit that or not, um, we're here, we're not going anywhere. And, you're gonna keep seeing my face and hearing the name Magdalena. Um, and I really, really want us to start being a part of Baltimore. Uh, I want us to be that place that like you wanna be, pre- You're you're a person from Baltimore and you're proud to say that this restaurant's here and you wanna bring people to it.
0: I like it. And what days are you guys open?
1: Um, right now, the restaurant is open uh, Tuesday through Saturday. The okay. hotel the hotel itself is seven days. And the
0: hours for restaurant?
1: Um, on, during the week, it's 5 o'clock to 9 o'clock for the kitchen. And on f- uh, Friday, Saturday, it's 5 to 10.
0: Is it open table, or can you call in to get a reservation? How's um,
1: you can call for reservations. Uh, we do reservations through open table. Um, we take walk-ins. We have bar seats available now. Um, the courtyard's open. so.
0: Yeah, I saw the courtyard. Uh, it's a rainy day right now in Baltimore, but I saw the courtyard when uh Tamron hall was here doing the show yeah
1: that's right. a big selling point for me of this restaurant in the summertime and the springtime is that our courtyard is just absolutely gorgeous uh especially at nighttime uh the lights and the it's just nice and quiet it's, it's awesome
0: and definitely hopefully I mean, it's some rainy day we'll get some some footage of everything today and whatnot but i'm gonna ask you a real quick speed round a real quick speed round i yeah. always like that phone with the people in this crab cakes
1: or crabs who cakes
0: So, wait, 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 you don't want to get your hands dirty?
1: No, uh, I, so, (laughs) at this point in my life, the picking crabs feels too much like work. what I do all the time. Okay. okay, okay. Uh, When I was a kid, like I said, I was a chubby kid, man, I wanted to eat something. I'm not trying to sit here and get these little bites of meat every ten minutes, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, especially when you're a kid, it's like, until you get good at it, like, you're cracking them in fours, banging the gills out, like, it's like, you know, once you get older, how to just, like, bust a crab with your eyes closed but like when I was a kid I'm like uh, when I around like around the age of 13 I started just like making a big pile and then eating that with like my corn and stuff at the end um and then I re- it clicked in my head that that's just a crab cake isn't it <laughs> yeah that's all those. so like why not just get a nice crab cake um my relationship with crabs is funny I was talking to my suit chefs about that the other day and they were kind of like shaming me a little um, I mean, I'm from Maryland, you know, it's like, you're not even allowed to say anything bad about crabs. Yeah, um,
0: you know, that's a national treasure. Yeah, no, Maryland. I'm
1: not even going to do it to myself. <laughs> I'm not going to do it to myself. It's like, <laughs> I'm not going to say it's like, yeah, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do the John Lennon thing. I'm smarter than that. I'm not going to do the slight, the sliced bread thing. Um, so it's, it's, it's just funny. Uh, cause definitely cake for sure.
0: Okay. Wings uh, for wings, uh, drums or flats? Oh, flats. hundred percent. Blue cheese or ranch.
1: <sighs> What's the sauce? <laughs> We'll do we we'll, we'll do honey old it's Baltimore. So. Um, definitely ranch then. It, it, it depends for me. It depends on what the the dressing depends on what they're sauce with. If, they, if it's like a, if it's just a dry wing, dry wing, a dry wing blue cheese. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. I just love blue cheese though. I
0: love a big blue cheese cursing. Yeah, delicious. Uh, I, I like blue cheese. I can't.
1: Yeah, ranch? but if it's if it's buffalo, I'm hit, I'm probably gonna do ranch because it's just I just I, I don't know they just go better know. together. I know people that, that again my opinions are weird sometimes. I understand that.
0: No, 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 uh, <laughs> no. You're good. Um, If you had a choice between seafood, sorry, sushi, or pizza, what would you pick? From the best pizza place or sushi? Oof, man, you're you're violent. I'm just having fun. You're a chef. We got,
1: you know, that's hard. That's really tough. Sushi
0: or a good pizza? New York style or New Jersey style? Thin crust or thick?
1: All right, how about this, thin crust or thick crust? Are you a uh, Thin, definitely thin. Okay, yeah, okay. I like Neapolitan okay. pizza.
0: Not Chicago style, not Detroit?
1: I, I'll eat it, it's delicious. It's too big, too heavy for me. I just like, for me, I just like the little bit of chard and like the serious bubbles of like going into like a five, like 700 degree pizza <laughs> oven sometimes and just, you know, the, it's delicious. I mean, like sourdough crust, like all that stuff. It's, it's, so hard, it's harder to make that good if it's thicker. I like a good thick crust. Yeah. Like I like
0: I like a potato chip crust. Oh, delicious. I live in Jersey, so we used to go to a place called Pete lying on the door the crust is just thin I'm just like okay I'm gonna beat it
1: I'm gonna say pizza because my partner would say sushi and I, I, she's gonna think this is funny okay
0: okay <laughs> that's cool that's cool and what is the best advice you have ever received
1: you gotta believe in it because um, I've received it from multiple people from Mark who was the, used to be the chef here who is probably the best person to get you to believe in something that I've ever met he'd talk you into goddamn anything um my pop pop also told me that and David Garrett also told me that so i think that like your reality is really really decided on how you view it and i've realized that it's like i've been able to get pretty much anything i set out to do in my life just by believing that i would get it.
0: Well, i appreciate you coming on the your <laughs> dark podcast. This has been an amazing interview. Thank you the Ivy Hotel for having us. Thank you Miss Terry for Showing the love, she gotta come eat. A sh- yeah,
1: shout out to Terry. She's the greatest events coordinator in the history. Hey, um, shout out. Uh, shout out to the whole Magdalena and Ivy Hotel crew um, for you know always holding me down and always getting us to where we're trying to go. So
0: hey, this is coming out on Juneteenth, so even better.
1: Shout out to the whole Black community. Stay Black.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Folks love peace, and we're out.
2: I had to say some funny stuff at the end. Or it be, it be, or it wouldn't be me. Baltimore Fiscal Partners is a boutique CPA firm specializing in accounting and consulting services. For nonprofits, small businesses, and with experience running nonprofits and small businesses, they know that there's not always enough time at the end of the day for you to focus on your finances. Whether it's monthly bookkeeping or an annual audit, tax preparation or consulting, nonprofit or small business, Baltimore Fiscal Partners provides full range or tailored solutions that keep your goals and budget in mind. Learn more about Baltimore Fiscal Partners online at BaltimoreFiscal.com or follow them at Baltimore Fiscal on Facebook and Instagram.